If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Cause we're all somewhere in the middle. We're all just looking for love to change the world. Ah. And we're all here in it together. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the September 22nd edition of IMRU. The nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio news magazine. Out front and out loud since 1974, I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. Chris Wilson will be joining us later in the program. She's stuck in traffic somewhere. Who isn't stuck in traffic in this city at this time of night? I know it's dangerous out there. Speaking of dangers out there, we got back from Saturday's longest day ever at the San Gabriel Valley Pride in Pasadena at the Memorial Park. Oh, to me it passed like a beautiful dream. Not me. It passed like a very painful uh, thing. <laughs> no, it was actually really terrific, but I'm quite sore from all the heavy lifting I did. I know, but we got to meet a lot of different people that you don't see at the West Hollywood Gay Pride. And Chris Ann and I got to play host at the um, entertainment, so we got to meet some lovely performers. As did Miss B. As did Miss B. Yes, waving for the booth. Me too, me too. So, yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was interesting. And uh, spending a day in Pasadena is always a pleasurable thing. Well, and I want to reach out and say hello and thank you to the organizers, everyone who stopped by our booth to tell their stories or say hello, and uh, especially to Reuben Lamb, the little darling who helped us set up. Thumbs up for Reuben. Very helpful. Tonight, our sapphic nobads are going to bring it home, speaking of what we're doing, uh, after their final report on LGBT life in India. And I'll talk to my well-mannered friend, Stephen Petro, about queer etiquette. And we'll travel back to IMRU's beginnings for the gay liberation follies of 1974. And Chris Wilson will talk live in studio with out singer-songwriter Sean Wiggins. But first, some national and international news from our friends at This Way Out. I'm Carol Myers. And I'm Wenzel Jones. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting the LGBT communities around the world for the week ending September 20, 2014. India's government is challenging a recent Supreme Court ruling that legally recognized trans people as a third gender. The High Court issued a landmark verdict in April that allows transgender people to identify themselves as such on official documents. But the country's conservative government, which swept to power following elections in June this year, has raised several objections to the ruling. India's Attorney General, Mokul Rahatki, wrote in the filing that, We just want clarification. Citing the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity and the country's entrenched caste system, he claimed that the ruling may pose problems both practically and politically, and that it seeks to create an ambiguity regarding entitlement to benefits. 
some LGBT activists have charged that the government is stalling and has no intention of ever implementing the Supreme Court judgment. According to a census earlier this year, almost 490,000 trans people self-identified as Hydra, the cultural name or equivalent for third gender, a much higher number than previous estimates. India's Supreme Court angered equality activists in December with a ruling that reinstated the country's Crimes Against Nature Penal Code, Section 377, a remnant of British colonial rule that outlaws even private, consensual adult gay sex. The government has not acted to repeal the law because officials say it's rarely enforced these days. Every U.S. federal appeals court to hear a marriage equality case to date has struck down state bans on civil marriage for same-gender couples. Cases involving bans in Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee were recently heard by the Sixth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg told a gathering at the University of Minnesota Law School on September 16th that the Sixth Circuit ruling could determine when the Supreme Court might act. If that court should disagree with the others, then there will be some urgency in the court taking the case. But when all of the courts of appeals are in agreement, there's no need for us to rush to step in. It remains to be seen what the Sixth Circuit will rule, when it will rule. Sooner or later, yes, the question will come to the court. There's little doubt how Justice Ginsburg will vote when every case does come before the high court. She's already performed legal marriage ceremonies for at least four same-gender couples. Elsewhere, a number of reports out of Egypt say that gay men using Grindr and other social media platforms are being entrapped by police and arrested for debauchery and indecency in what appears to be an escalating crackdown. Egypt actually has no law against same-gender sex, but those are the charges typically filed against LGBT people. Along with Grindr, a global app used by gay men seeking casual sex with other men, or to find longer-term romantic relationships, the Egyptian government reportedly now has new technology allowing it to also comb through data from Skype, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. An official who insisted on anonymity said those taking part in debauchery or homosexual acts would be monitored for the protection of Egypt. We are safeguarding the values that are important to Egyptians and which will keep us safe, he said. A man who identified himself to the French news outlet France 24 as a gay activist named Samia A. said, The new intensity of this repression is tied to the political situation in Egypt and that the new, ostensibly secular regime wants to show Egyptians that it is as conservative as the ousted Muslim Brotherhood. Meanwhile, stamps featuring the artwork of the gay erotic artist known as Tom of Finland have broken all sales records in that country and a parcel plastered with those stamps successfully passed into Russia and reached its destination this week. The Finnish news agency, YLE, sent the package to see if it would be seized and declared to be in breach of Russia's so-called no-promo-homo laws. But a YLE correspondent in Moscow reported that the stamps didn't arouse the slightest bit of interest, not even when I pointed them out to the postal workers. They're happy so long as the postage is paid in full. In other news, the Australian Football League has terminated its sponsorship agreement with Royal Brunei Airlines because of the tiny Southeast Asian nation's pending laws calling for gay people to be stoned to death. 
The AFL said last week it was reassessing the agreement and claimed that it was unaware of the draconian anti-gay law when the deal was signed. The revelation was an embarrassment for the league, which signed on to a nationwide anti-homophobia and sports campaign earlier this year and went on record a few weeks ago in support of marriage equality. The family of the current Sultan of Brunei, Hassanal Bokeha, has ruled the country for more than 600 years. The state-owned airline is part of his estimated $13 billion fortune. LGBT groups and some high-profile supportive allies began boycotting several luxury hotels that the Sultan owns in the U.S. and Europe soon after the horrific new laws were announced. Uganda's President Yoweri Museveni struggled to find accommodations during a trip to Irving, Texas this week to promote investment and tourism in his country. He signed the East African nation's draconian anti-homosexuality law earlier this year that, among other provisions, punished some forms of private, consensual, adult gay sex with up to life in prison. Uganda's constitutional court overturned the measure on a technicality in August, but another version is on the agenda in the current parliamentary session. Local LGBT activists vowed to hold protests outside whichever hotel Museveni stayed in, and many of the area's top hoteliers have wanted to avoid the possibly disruptive controversy. He had originally planned to stay at the prestigious Four Seasons Hotel in Irving until managers canceled his reservation, after a blog post in the LGBT Dallas Voice newspaper noted Museveni's complicity in the persecution of sexual minorities. At last report, and after a few more polite rejections, Museveni will host the promotional event at the Hotel Las Colinas, which ranks number 45 out of 76 hotels in the Irving area and offers a group rate of just over $100 a night, hardly a setting befitting a president. And finally... Uganda criminalizes homosexuality and the act of homosexuality. Coming out to speak boldly, people will think you're insane, you're crazy. Others will think you have been paid by the Western world to promote. That's the word they use, as if it's business. That was the environment for prominent Ugandan activist John Long Jones Wambere, who worked for LGBT rights in his country for more than 17 years until he decided he would further the cause best by staying alive in another country rather than be killed for his activism at home. He was outed on the front pages of local Ugandan tabloids, repeatedly harassed by strangers, and suffered death threats, arrests, evictions, and was beaten unconscious. He came to the U.S. for an LGBT conference in February, and facing almost certain arrest upon his return to Uganda, requested asylum in May. His attorneys at GLAAD, gay and lesbian advocates and defenders, announced this week that Wambere's asylum filing had been granted. He's still subject to a mandatory background check before final approval is issued. I must say that I am blessed, he said in a statement. I call upon everyone who helped me to continue to support LGBTI people around the world. My thoughts are with Uganda. I have sleepless nights while I worry about my community there. That's News Wrap for the week ending September 20th, 2014. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap was produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Carol Myers. And I'm Wenzel Jones.
You can hear all 30 minutes of the latest This Way Out, including more news wrap on free podcasts at Stitcher Radio On Demand, iTunes, or at thiswayout.org. Also on the program this week, it got better for out pro basketball player Jason Collins, but it gets worse with the Family Research Council's Tony Perkins. And a bisexual activist overcomes alienation in India. Speaking of which, <clears throat> Katie Cook and Maggie Young are adventurers, storytellers, and partners. In July of 2012, these sapphic nomads set off on a journey in search of LGBTQ communities around the globe. Tonight, the last part of their four-part report from India. In our final episode of our four-part series from India we talked to Deepak Kashyap, a psychologist in Mumbai, India. In our last segment with Deepak, he talked about his work as a mental health therapist and also about the growing movement for equal rights in India. In this episode, we talked to Deepak about his personal experience of coming out as a gay man in India. I was a suicidal person for two years. I... um... When I recognized that I was different, I knew it, I was different when I was 11. I knew why when a man is talking, all I'm looking at is his lips. It doesn't matter what he's talking about. I knew it's different. And when you're 12 or 13, you're hitting puberty, you recognize there's this funny thing going on with all your classmates. They're looking at each other and smiling, especially girls at boys and boys at girls. And you're wondering, like, what the hell are you doing? Why, why, what's so funny about it? Why are you giggling? And then it happens to you. So when I was 14, a man flirted with me. And I went red in my cheeks and my heart was pounding and I was like, don't do this, do it a little more. Don't do this, do it a little more. So you, you get that feeling for yourself, and then you're like, oh, she wasn't silly. She, th- there was something going on with her when that boy was speaking to her. So it, it's, it's a course of discovery, on your, and specifically in a smaller town, when there is no discourse on sex, period, leave alone homosexuality. Straight people cannot marry each other because they are from a different caste because their parents don't approve. I think in a way, this whole gay movement is going to liberalize a lot of straight people in this country. This sexual change will not happen in a vacuum. Um, So you grow up and 15, 16, you you are at the safely thinking at the back of your mind. You know, I, I just like right now, but probably I will have a nice wedding, you know, I mean, we are we see weddings everywhere in movies and in movies we we ha- indians have a cl- clearly divided life before and after marriage and you really are looking forward to it because on your marriage day you're treated like no other day you you are really looking for that for that important day in your life it's not just important because you're going to be with someone so i was um, happily planning my marriage and in with a woman and now it's the only difference now will be like I'll be wearing the gown <laughs> but um, so just just going on and at 16 I realized this is not changing it's not going away I the more I the more I like it it's just not changing and the more I the more I want to be in his heart 
now it's gone it's gone above it's not just genitals i just just want something more from the him and then the, you stumble upon uh on purpose happens an accident that you flip through your dictionary and you see the word homosexual and suddenly it sees befitting to your own identity and then I went to the internet and the first thing I typed, I was so scared, I didn't even type the word homosexual, what I typed was effeminate men. And that or like on the second search page of Google, it took me to a gay dating website in India. It was a gold mine discovery for me. I was just like, there are other people. There are other people like me. And because earlier the people I used to have sex with were just the ones who were I, I didn't know what their sexuality was. Then I was really, really, really lucky to meet a family uh, of a lesbian uh, person. Uh, her mother helped me accept myself. They are an American family who've given up everything in the US and they stay in India taking care of animals. So she just really made me feel what I should have felt from other people. I was just looking for one adult to tell me that I'm okay being feminine. I just wanted one adult to tell me something other than be a man. I wanted one adult to tell me I am an adequate person. Because as a, as a teenager you can't think all of that on your own. Your critical thinking hasn't developed. It took a good one year of almost a daily not a daily, but a monthly dose of positive self-esteem for me to come to 20 years of age and tell my biological parents that I'm gay. Because they're the ones I was living with. My parents uh, went through a shock, um, but they went through a silent shock. I wanted some, something more. I think I'm drama. I like drama in life. I, w I wanted something more. And they gave me just a couple of cries here and there. It's just like, no, shout, do something. We're like, we love you too much. I was lucky, I was really lucky that even though my parents didn't understand and or even sympathize, but they never became cruel to me. They did what they could in their human capacity was to just stand there and say, I can't look at you, but I'll hold you. <laughs> I think my mom is very happy that I've found a well-settled man and you know she's she's more happy about that that I'm happy and uh, she does wish I was not gay it's not that she's become P flag mother right now she's not and that's okay I realized the importance of parenting my parents through these seven years they required parenting they required me to stand there hold them and do exactly what they did to me I understand you're hurting, you don't understand right now. That right now word was really important to time frame the whole problem and not abandon them and they didn't abandon me. So I think I was kind of lucky. I was really lucky to have parents like that. This concludes our four part series from India. We want to thank Shruta and Deepak Kashup for sitting down with us and for sharing their stories. To learn more about our Sapphic Nomads project, please visit our website at www.nomaddocumentary.com or you can visit our Sapphic Nomads Facebook page. Till next time, this is Maggie Young with fellow Sapphic Nomad Katie Cook 
reflecting on our time in Mumbai, India for This Way Out. Katie Cook and Maggie Young. They are back home in San Francisco. They were on the road for two years collecting stories from the tribes. And do we have any idea if they have plans of going out again? Not right now. They, they've done a lot of video work while they were gone. They hope to put together a, a movie, a documentary. But it's very interesting to, you know, learn about I mean, the differences among the countries and amongst the, the genders and amongst the nationalities and so forth. Yet there's so many similar stories that we all share. Every culture has its own calling cards. And do you find that sometimes you're confounded by modern LGBT etiquette? What's that I smell? Who did that? Uh, what? <laughs> canned ham, perhaps? Well. Anyway, let us now correct that unfortunate situation. Oscar Wilde once said, The world is my oyster. But I used the wrong fork. Well, that would never happen to at least one person in my circle because he wrote the definitive guide to LGBT life. I'm Stephen Petro, the author of Stephen Petro's Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners, The Definitive Guide to LGBT Life. Are gay manners different than straight manners? It's really a situational thing. For gay folks, you know, we're in all these new relationships, you know, getting married, folks who are coming out more and more in the workplace, and same-sex families too, two moms, two dads, and you know, you're dealing with teachers and kids, and manners is really at heart about our relationships, our interactions, and so this book is kind of the one-stop reference guide for you know, everyone in our community to get some help on those new situations. And then on the other hand, it's also for our straight friends, coworkers, and family members. They get invited to our weddings, they work with us, folks come out to them, they meet transgender people, and they are completely befuddled and don't know what to do. Most of them actually want to do the right thing, but they don't always know what it is. And if you go to some of the traditional manners books, we're pretty much absent, and usually the information that's there is not so helpful. In fact, some of it's even you know homophobic. So that's pretty much why I wrote the book, and that's pretty much how gay manners can be considered different than straight manners. How did you become an expert in gay and lesbian manners? Was it like a high school career day that took a really wrong turn? I joke that I am an accidental manners expert. Of course, I didn't grow up wanting to be Emily Post. But it's actually interesting. Emily Post, um, Amy Vanderbilt, Judith Martin, they were all journalists before they became manners um, advice experts. And I've been a journalist my working life. And maybe it's something about you know, the inquiring mind or having you know, certain repertorial skills that sort of pushed me into this. But I started doing an advice column on manners probably about 15 years ago, and it seemed to resonate. And there was a small book that came out of it, and now there's this really big book of gay manners that goes soup to nuts, or I like to say from womb to tomb. It um, starts with families and raising kids in a same-sex household and goes through dating and sex and so on and ends with illness and death and dying issues. Your book on gay and lesbian manners is 448 pages. Not to be rude, but boil it down for me. What's the core message of the book? I am a believer in respecting one another and respecting ourselves. And if there's a common theme in all the situations in the book, it is about respect. Someone said to me, well, how can you expect anyone to know all of those rules? And I said, well, it's really not that complicated. First of all, if you just go to the question, 
I'm not being respectful of myself. I'm not being respectful of these other people. You usually can use your common sense to figure it out. I mean, we don't always have enough common sense. So, you know, that's a secondary message here. And, you know, even around challenging situations where someone uses an anti-gay slur, a first visceral response might be to get angry and um, to have a smackdown. But I actually don't think that's productive. So I encourage people there not to be silent, though, because silence is understood as agreement. But to say something like, it's a joke, a quote joke, that's not so funny. That offends me. And not to humiliate, but to, to draw a line and say, you know, that's not acceptable because these kind of words come from bullies. And bullies will just raise the stakes. And we also know that words can lead to violence. So we have to speak up. But getting angry, it's not the first mode. It's not the second mode. But it happens, too. Everyone gets provoked. What about do's and don'ts for straight friends? I have this really good friend. And I guess she had heard some gay folks using the word faggot. And, you know, they were using it, they thought, sort of within their own circle of, of gay friends. She ever heard it. And so she used it later on with some other gay folks, not understanding that it sounds very different when it comes out of a straight person's mouth and was immediately met with a very stony response from those. And she realized she had stepped into something inadvertently. And, you know, there was also sort of a question of language there. I think we have to be careful, too, about the language that we use. And that part of what happened there was that this group of gay guys was just going on and on about faggot this, faggot that, and not understanding that when you use language like that, it makes it seem acceptable. And if we want to use that sort of internally, we need to make sure that we're doing it internally. One of the issues we have on this show is not knowing who's out And even within that question, there are different levels of outness. I often acknowledge that I am far from perfect when it comes to my manners, though I'm trying to be well-behaved today. But one of the worst gaffes I made was right around this particular question. I had a really good friend. She was out in her personal life. She had a partner. She had two kids. They had two kids. And um, I hadn't realized she wasn't out in the workplace. And she kind of kept her private life to herself. And so I outed her inadvertently in the workplace. And she was really unhappy about that, rightfully so, and, and called me out on it. And it really sort of buttressed the point that you're making, which is that we all make different decisions about our level of outness and in what arena we want to be out. And that is our right as an individual. And, you know, we always talk about when someone is coming out that It's on their own timetable. It's when they're ready. It's when they're in a trusting place with whomever they want to tell. So we don't want to uh, mess it up for folks and out them in places where they don't want to be. But it's complicated. And then, you know, with Facebook, people are out there, but they're not out here. And it's crazy. And it's, it's hard to do the right thing sometimes, even if you're trying to do it. And what happens is people who are in the closet, and I'm thinking of this one fellow I know, he has a boyfriend and he lives with his boyfriend and they got tagged at a party and they got tagged as a couple. And then that wound up on his page. All of his relatives were there. That's how he got pushed out. And um, he was really angry. But, you know, I think there's some responsibility on both sides there. It's really hard to be out in one area and, and not, especially when you bring Facebook into it. But I would say one Facebook matters is, one important thing is, before you tag someone, ask for their permission. 
because any kind of picture can be tagged and then it goes anywhere and that's really your choice. This has been part one of a two-part discussion with Stephen Petro, author of Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners. Find more information online at gaymanners.com. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Wow, I feel so hoity-toity educated right now. You know, I've always had manners. I don't know what gay manners are. I, I'm, I'm still kind of, you know, I feel, I feel I'm very polite, sir. Well, yeah, it's just, you know, do I mind if I touch you there? You have to ask. I do mind. You have to be, yeah. Yes. Very nice about it. You have to have some pride. I, you know, thank goodness you're here because we have the biggest pride of all. Thank you. I'm not that big. Don't say that. No, I meant big in, a, in you know, in the Bolshoi good-hearted way. Oh, my. No, you're thin. You've lost weight. You, you, if, I wish this was TV. They could see. Well, you know, when I or you hit the airwaves of KPFK 1974. Yeah. It was one of the first segments came from KSAN and KPFA in San Francisco. And it was produced by Len Richmond and Gary Nogueira of the Gay Liberation Fallacy. Oh, dear. I didn't oh. Wendell, you sound so different. I know. This Chris is Chris, and I want to thank in. Wendell for covering for me. This His is name a- is Wenzel. Wenzel. Oh. Him, too. <laughs> Gay liberation follies were for homosexuals' determined fight against self-loathing and legal harassment. I feel a gay back moment coming on. This episode is called Gays of Our Lives. And now, another episode of everyone's favorite soap opera, Gays of Our Lives. Bernice, come here. Yes, Harry. Where have you been? I went... Don't, no, you don't have to tell me, because the guilt on your face tells me you've been to another one of those damn women's rights meetings. Oh, Harry, You don't I try swear. to lie to me, you silly, stupid female. And you understand this, I won't have you acting like a man, becoming obnoxious and aggressive, do you hear? Yes, Harry, but I And if I you didn't. don't give a damn about me, you consider our child. Junior? Did you want him to grow up to be a queer? What? Look, it's a scientific fact that homes with an aggressive, dominant mother and a weak, passive father invariably turn out homosexual boys. Oh, my God. Well, that's not going to happen in this household, you hear? But, oh, my God, I'm afraid it's too late, Harry. What did you say, Bernice? Well, you see, I wasn't at a women's rights meeting tonight, Harry. I was at a meeting of the Daughters of Belitis. Whose daughters? The Daughters of Belitis. It's America's oldest and largest lesbian organization. Why, Junior turned me on to it. I've been attending meetings secretly for six months now, and I've met a wonderful woman named Janet. We're very much in love, and I've never been so happy. I, I, I can't believe my ears. Oh, and one more thing, Harry. What? Drop dead. Oh, my. So much drama back in 74 here at KPFK. Mm. Not like today where we all love each other. Mm. Well, after the break, more from the Gay Liberation Follies of 1974. And don't forget, we're going to have live music with Sean Wiggins. She's got like an accompaniment, so we've got like a whole thing going on here. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a hoedown throwdown. Time is 7.32. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Film idol Ramon Navarro coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. In 1916, Ramon Navarro started out as a model and singing waiter in L.A. Then thanks to the Hollywood publicity machine, he became its first Latin American superstar. Born in Mexico in 1899, his family moved to Los Angeles during the Mexican Revolution. 
Navarro reached the peak of his career in the title role of the 1926 silent spectacle Ben-Hur, although his best performance came the next year in The Student Prince in Old Heidelberg. The romantic idol of silent films of the 1920s, Navarro was billed as the new Rudolph Valentino. After a few box office studs in the early 1930s, he left acting with his fans unaware of his secret. The unmarried Latin lover was attracted to men. By today's standards, Navarro's performances are perceived as decidedly effeminate, but way back then, he was it. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios at WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Wendy McClary. Hello, I'm Don McCarty, and you are listening to RMRU Radio Magazine. Now in its 40th year on KPFK FM 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 95.9 Bridgecraft China Lake, 93.7 San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. to IMRU Radio, and I'm Steve Pride. And I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. I am Chris Wilson, and that song coming out of the break was Growing Up by Sean Wiggins, and Sean Wiggins is actually here live in studio. Where? Where is she? With a guitar in her hand. Oh, that explains a lot. And and here, along with her, is Paul. Yeah! Rock and roll! All right! All right. And... We've had Sean here with us before, and I just want to welcome you back. Thank you. I love the title of your new album. (laughs) Yeah, it works. What is it? It's called Clothing Optional Fridays, which follows up (laughs) Naked Thursdays. (laughs) I'm seeing a trend here, and I'm down with that. Yeah, well, you know, I was kind of hoping that maybe... Maybe it would be. Well, maybe it could be clothing optional Mondays, you know, because you've really it's riled Monday. up our studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I have. My God, I don't know how we're going to get out here. Well, they're all so excited to to see that Sean Wiggins is here and half dressed. Apparently, shh, don't <laughs> Dude, tell, don't tell. Don't all right, tell. no, shh, it's radio. So, Sean, you, um, like you said, you, this is not your first album. This is not your first walk around the block. What have you been doing since you were here with us last? Uh, well, recording this CD, and we do about 125 shows a year, so we play everywhere from San Diego to S- San Francisco mostly, but uh, we're headed off to Chicago next- this week, actually. Yeah, I'm glad that we caught you right before that trip, and and I, I was telling you off the air, you know, you never know. I was sitting in a pub in Belfast, Ireland, 
with a woman who, when I mentioned your name and that I enjoyed your music, said, I know Sean Wiggins. She's been to Chicago. Oh, man, when's she coming back again? So um, we'll be sure and let her know. But, Thank you. Uh, man, you, you get around, Sean. Did that really work as around. a pickup line, Chris? Um, just, uh, hey. <laughs> and so far. <laughs> hey but, um, no, you, you do a lot of stuff on the road. Do you ever get tired? No, you know, I get tired on the way there thinking, oh, God, another two-and-a-half-hour drive to my, to my gig. But once, once I'm there, it's all good. And you've been doing this for how long? Since I came out of the womb. Wow. So with I the guitar in your hand. Yeah, with the guitar in hand. Well, it's been my entire life, really. What's your tour bus? What, what are you touring I have in? a VW Rabbit. Really? Really, and it carries the whole PA. Where, where do the roadies sit, Sean? Um, yeah, Thank yeah, you. the roadies. <laughs> yeah, the roadies are driving. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> but I'm sure you have your people, you know, who your tour manager and your people who go ahead on the road for you and just make sure everything's perfect and, you know, arrange the hotels, et cetera. Right? Oh, yeah. Isn't that what the life of an oh. independent musician is like? Yeah, it's totally. It's cush like that. It's. <laughs> I'm so happy to be to be just lounging at home in the, you know, on the lounge chair with my band of soleil. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but it does point out that what I love the most about independent musicians is you do what you do for the love and passion of what you do. Absolutely. And that's what... Or it's pointless. Yeah, exactly. Because you ain't doing it for the big bucks. No. But we are so privileged to have you here live in studio. And you're going to play something for us. Can you tell us about the song? This song is called Addict and is sort of self-explanatory. Okay. It can be addicted to whatever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Well, we will pay attention. (laughs) Here's Sean and Paul. Got a one-track mind Thinks about it all the time Can't eat I can't sleep Looking in the mirror Where you lost your soul Caught up in a feeling And it's out of control I say, what you gonna do Gonna do When the well runs dry Open your eyes Take a good look around Shake all those chains You sort of hear the ground Well, I know you're blinded And it's hot to the touch But you better be careful If it takes that much I said, what you gonna do Gonna do when the well runs dry I said, hey, baby, better run away. I said, hey, baby, better run away. I 
Are you giving up your freedom? Cause you don't wanna fight. Pray that you're dreaming. You're locked in so tight. Well, I can't you on the flip side. Is you headed for a rebound? Licking your wounds. Well, you're feeling like a clown. I said, what you gonna do? Gonna do when the well runs dry. Oh, when the well runs studio audience weighs in. <laughs> you two are something else, Sean and Paul. I mean, you are, I was watching the guitar. You two are just so in sync with each other. How long have you been playing together? Well, I guess we just figured it out. It's ten and a half years. Ten and a half years. Wow. And you two are, when you have a band, Lone Goat, right? Yeah, Sean Wiggins and Lone Goat. Sean Wiggins and Lone Goat. And when you tour, is it usually just you and Paul, or is it the whole Lone Goat band? Uh, about a third of the time, the full band is there That's cool. these days, which is nice. We like it when we have the full band. Paul loves it when we have the full band. Well, since we are a local show here in Los Angeles, and uh, unless somebody's on their way to Chicago this weekend, <laughs> I've noticed your tour schedule. You are lots of places very often here in Southern California. Tell us about some of those, because uh, you got to see these two live. This is something else. Well, it's all on our website, which is seanwiggins.com, but we're a couple places up in Santa Clarita we play, a couple wine bars up there, and then we play, we'll be in Ireland's 32 in October. And um, I think we're going to be That's playing. That's in Van Nuys, right? In Van Nuys. So we're in Santa Clarita, Van Nuys. Uh, we play a lot up in Santa Barbara. So that's kind of our home away from home right now, Santa Barbara Carpinteria, up in wine country in San Inez. You had me at wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's me a too. winery near Malibu or something. I've oh, I've been, we've been at. playing Malibu wines. Up, yeah, I, there's so many places that I tend to just focus on the next week, and then I forget. So we would need to, if we really want to know where you're going to be, go to www.seanwiggins.com. And that's S-E-A-N-W-I-G-G-I-N-S. Yes. And they can also there find out more about, well, I don't know, would do the, is it more about Clothing Optional Fridays or is it about the CD closing, Clothing Optional Fridays? You're starting to uh, develop a new trend here? Well, we started it at Ireland's 32, actually. The the whole nude concept started at Ireland's. I was trying to get people to take off their clothes just to make the evening a little smoother. Mm-hmm. And how did that work for you? I got I got some guys down to their boxers. <laughs> it really did work for yeah, you. Steve's oh. intrigued. <laughs> Steve's intrigued. So, so it's continued. And, and we did a video, actually. If you go to YouTube and look up Naked Sean Wiggins, one of our songs from a CD of ours called The Kitchen Sink, one of our songs... We did a video, too, where I imitate a windsock naked while to the song, while playing. 
I'm trying to get a visual. We're on radio here. But <laughs> what, is, what does a windsock yeah, look like? Yeah, I'm really like? glad you that know? you interjected something, Chrisanne, because I was kind of at a loss for words myself. I'm looking at Marcel Marceau walking through the wind. Is that is that something? Mime? Well, it's I actually say, a wind. Majors? It's a wind dancer, like in front of a car dealership, the very tall balloon person that, oh, that whips back and forth. Right. Yeah, well, I'm... They're I'm, not paid very well. <laughs> no, they're not. Neither are we. <laughs> So, so it all works out. In fact, you know, in your song, The Bottom Line, at the, the beginning of that, this is another song from Clothing Optional Fridays. I noticed the part about the guy in the Statue of Liberty suit waving the sign to get your taxes done. Yeah, And that exactly. was quite a visual. It's kind of a similar concept. But <laughs> I've been using it at shows because I think I'm kind of built. I'm sort of long and lean. And so I'm built kind of like a windsock. So I do it very well. So if you come out to a show, ask for the windsock. Oh. And I will do it live. Absolutely. <laughs> you got that. <laughs> Ask for the windsock. <laughs> You've got a number of albums out. Now, what number is this, Clothing Optional Fridays? I think it's seven. Seven, mm-hmm. you think? It, it's seven. Out? It's seven. Wow. Yeah. It takes a lot of time, effort, work, and money to put albums out. It does, but it's sort of, it's what rejuvenates you, I think. It gets you inspired to continue, and you're making new music. So I think it's kind of the the little energy boost. Wow. And one, one question, too, about a song. You mentioned a stalker. Is that a real-life story about a stalker or who, it, who saved you? Well, a lot of it's made up, but it, it was based on a particular individual who would weave back and forth in front of our shows out in Santa Inez that was fell off the stage at one point. Uh-huh. So it was an entertaining stalker. Well, yeah, was there alcohol involved? <laughs> there, there was a lot of alcohol involved. Any litigation? <laughs> Not against me. Oh, good, good. <laughs> that's, that's fabulous. Dressed as a vampire at one of the events. Yes, it was a... You attract an interesting crowd at your shows, I guess. A, a variety. A, 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 vari- a wide very, variety. Yes, very strong variety. <laughs> Whoa. Um, well, I any... Other questions for Sean? Anything else you want to leave us with about who you are as a musician? I mean, this is your life, right? This is my life, and honestly, it's what I love and have always loved, and I think I just would not exist if I weren't doing this. So if you come to a show, you'll see between Paul and I, when we play music, we play music from our souls, from the bottom of our feet, from our hearts. I could see that right here in the studio that you definitely both did. And, and naked. And naked. Well, I have to. I have to ask you one one teeny question, Chris. What's the very first song you ever wrote? Maybe were you ten, five? Oh, you know, I wrote poetry then. I don't know song. I wrote a lot of poems, so I'm not sure. I think I was probably about twelve. Mm. Well, mm. thank you for spending this time with us. And again, that's www.seanwiggins.com. There's just way too much going on with you that we can't get it all here on the air, but you can definitely get it on the website. So thank you so very much thank for being you. with us. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much, Sean. And, th- and thank you, Chris Wilson. You always have the best guests on here. I do. As people say that I have the best interviews. It's just because of the guests I pick. You're right. It's not me. It's them. I'm not saying that, but they're they're awesome. <laughs> they're awesome. I think girls with guitars every week if I were in charge. Amen. Here. Well, you play the guitar, too. You played the parade for us. Yes, I do. Yes, I do, oh, I'm man. Sorry, I'm a lesbian. That. Of course I play the guitar. <laughs> Give me a flipping break. It's a rule. And now we have more. Speaking of speaking of a rule, we have more from the Gay Liberation Follies of 1974. Can you believe it? 40 years ago is how old we are. This episode is called the ASR Complex, 
and features a very familiar voice. I will give you a hint. Lily Tomlin. Why I oughta. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we pay a visit to Britain's new ultra-modern ASR complex on the Isle of Wight. For those of you who aren't familiar with the ASR, it stands for Appropriate Sexual Response. An institute has been making revolutionary accomplishments in the field of controlling and eliminating sexual deviancy. Uh, Dr. Pomeroy? Yes, Mrs. Felton. As the head of ASR, would you let our listening audience know a little more about the work taking place here at the ASR complex? Mm, I'd be happy to. As you know, we have long used high-frequency light and sound waves in controlling unruly crowds by inducing artificial epileptic seizures and nausea among the demonstrators. Yes, we all admire the use of your humanistic and non-lethal crowd control devices. Thank you. Well, we've applied this knowledge to the control of public and private sexual deviant acts. How does it work, Doctor? Well, the experimentation that we've done so far on volunteer prisoners from a local prison has proven terribly encouraging. Oh, really? It's just a tiny, tiny electrode implanted in the sexual response centers of Mm -hmm. the prisoners' brains. And when the young men thought about uh, appropriate sexual objects, (laughs) such as wives or girlfriends that they were engaged to, then everything was fine. Uh, But when they thought of inappropriate sexual objects, such as their own gonads or that of another male prisoners. Well, then, a mechanism is triggered here at our ASR control center, and the young man experiences what might range from uh, mild depression to severe epileptic seizures, uh, depending on how long it takes the subject to redirect his thoughts to an acceptable sexual object. Well, how revolutionary! How marvelous! Oh, thank you. I... Yeah, unfortunately, we still have a few quirks to work out. Yes. <laughs> See, one troublesome prisoner would not redirect his sexual thoughts away from another male prisoner that he claimed he was emotionally involved with. <laughs> so he experienced a full range of punishment from depression to epilepsy to eventually death. Oh, how unfortunate. For the program, yes, but we shall survive one or two malcontent gaily braticals. Why, even right now, we are perfecting our technique for introducing a chemical equivalent of ASR's program into Britain's general water supply. By soon, sexual deviancy may be controlled at the water faucet, <laughs> or in the morning coffee, or even in the bathtub. Oh, bravo, hair doctor. <laughs> Don't go shame for I like. Deutschland, du Land der Freude, oh, du mein Heimatland. Well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take timid politicos by the hand and exit to the far, far left of the tram's forward motion. And our thanks to tonight's director and social media maven, Miss Barbecue, assistant director, and fill-in for me earlier in the show, thank you, Wenzel Jones, and coordinating producer Steve Pride, and our Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. And, of course, our board op, one of my favorite board ops, Ray Peleus. Yay! We love Ray. The studio audience loves him as well. They do, because he's naked now, apparently. <laughs> Yes, and they applaud that. If you have comments or story suggestions, I am RU Radio on Twitter and on Facebook, or you can email us at IMRU Radio at IMRU Radio.org. IMRU is simulcast available on demand at kpfk.org. It's also posted to the IMRU Radio Facebook page by noon every Tuesday. Cool. Are you sitting down? Are I you am. sitting down? Are you ready for this? Yes. We are about to hold our annual radio production training class. It will begin on October 
4th. It will run for eight Saturday mornings here at KPFK from 9 a.m. until noon. And that's 9, 9 a.m., you gay people, 9 a.m., not 9.15, not 9.30. I'm just telling you now so you know ahead of time. Radio time is different Radio than gay time. 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 Okay, yeah, mostly we get here on time for the show. So anyway, if you're interested in contributing content to IMRU, that's a really great place to start. If you're not interested in our show, it's still a great place to learn radio so you can volunteer for other shows here at KBFK. And for more information, please email us at radiolab at imruradio.org. That's radiolab at imruradio.org. Just bring your energy and your point of view, and we'll do the training. Coming up next, flip the script with Riku Matsuda. And we will close with You Are the One from Sean Wiggins. Good night. Good night. The road's been long and I'm not as young when it comes to picking pieces of the off of the ground. I'm thinking love is just a fairy tale. Men for bits and panties and a whistling well. We never apologize for smoky bars and riding lights. Get to something that's a part of my life I thought it might be better to be alone But here I am writing a love song Cause you are the one for me And you are exactly all I need Cream in my coffee be a fantasy or could it be that that look was for me Every day, it's why I'm writing a song.